Hey, this is Sammy Flores. I'm the pastor at Coin Church in Chino, California, and this is our podcast. I'm so grateful you're tuning in. I hope this encourages you and calls you to more because you were made for more. Here's our latest message. So uh, excited, humbled, and grateful to be back here on the pulpit. Um, I had my brother text me this past week. He's like, hey, man, are you good? I'm like, why? What's going on? He's like, you haven't been preaching. I'm like, no, I'm good, man. It's just a rhythm that uh, Kelly and I want to, to, to bring a part of our lives because we're not just like looking for, we're not viewing ministry as a race, right? It's, man, it's a marathon, right? It's, it's, it's until we die, until I give my last breath, I feel called to the pulpit. But I want to breathe, and I have to breathe in God's goodness, and I have to remind myself why I'm even here, why I even have this microphone in the first place. And so every July, this is just something that our spiritual uh, pastors and spiritual formation, um, Dr. Doctrine, you guys remember him? He kind of encouraged me, hey, every year, you need to, to take a break from the mic, to lean in and to hear what God is saying. And so that's why I do it. It's not because I'm lazy I want to preach every week, but I also believe that there are voices in this space, our elders, that we want to train up and raise up, and if we could just give a shout out to them for the seven-minute message from Maddie and Brendan, we honor you guys, man, and we're so grateful, so thank you for, for that, um, but I am so excited to, like, be back. So would you open up your Bibles to John chapter 3? We're going to continue on our teaching series and have no idea when it's going to end and we'll jump back and forth from here and there but we're in John chapter 3 because I, I believe it's important that we are learners of the word right we believe in both spirit and truth spirit and truth and so if you have your bibles John chapter 3 we're starting in verse 1 and it says this the word of God says this now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. If you have your pen or want to take notes, I would circle ruler or member of a, the Jewish ruling council. He was a prestigious man. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Other translations that are more accurate say, unless they have rebirth. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised, Nicodemus. You sh must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? This elite ruler that understood the scribal laws at a depth that we would probably never comprehend. He asks, how can this be? You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? I tell you, we speak of what we know, 
and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people, so he's, he's coming against the Pharisees. You people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that uh, gives truth and direction to a world that is so incredibly lost. Thank you, Father, that this word, inspired by your spirit, written by the pen of John the Apostle, has written this to us so that in 2023 we may lean in. I pray that your word would read us this morning, God, that your word would strip us of whatever it is that we need to be stripped of, and it's in Jesus' mighty and powerful name, amen, amen. I don't want to say this is my favorite verse in the scripture, but it's, it's pretty high up, in there, up there. Jesus talks to this man, Nicodemus, and he has a conversation, and if I could create a title or a, a, a subtitle around this, these verses, it would be, you choose flesh or spirit. What do you choose? Do you choose the flesh or do you choose the spirit? And you know, we can say, oh, I choose the spirit. I love the spirit. I want the spirit in my life. I want the, as the Old Testament Hebrew would say, the ruah. I want the wind. I want it to float the sails in my boat when I'm out at sea and it's hard and it's scary and we can get excited. And oftentimes when we're in church, we can get filled up and we sing songs like we did today and it seems like we got all the strength, but then as soon as we leave church, quote unquote, we step right back into the flesh. So you have to make a decision. Will I choose the spirit of God or will I choose the flesh of this world and of myself? In other words, will I choose my own intellect? Will I choose my own logic? Will I choose my own understanding? Or will I lean on God and lean on his word, even though it's as if the wind, I can't see the wind, but I can feel it. And so it takes another level of faith, my friend. Jesus says, ah, Nicodemus, you're just like so, you're, you're still elementary, man. You know the word of God. You know the, the, the Torah. You have memorized the first five books of the Bible, by the way. Try and do that for your seminary test. I want you to memorize every word in the first five books of the Bible. That is what these men had to do, by the way. So if we're not careful and if we don't understand the context, we would so like, like skip over what is taking place with this man named Nicodemus? So for context, I want to just talk through who Nicodemus is. Nicodemus must first, if you're taking notes, he must have been incredibly wealthy. How do we know that? When Jesus died, Nicodemus brought for his body, he brought Jesus, 
a mixture of myrrh and aloes, weighing about 100 pounds. That's in John 19, by the way. In John 19, 39, Nicodemus is mentioned as he brings this to Jesus' body. Only a wealthy man could have brought that. The next is that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. There were, even, there were never more than 6,000 of them. They were what was known as a brotherhood. The Pharisees were. They entered into this brotherhood by taking a pledge in front of three witnesses that they would spend all of their lives observing every detail in the scribal law. Do you know that? Every detail, every rule, everything that the Spirit of God said, arguably from Moses, they were to understand and teach it and, and memorize it, and it, should, it would be as though it was on every part of who they were. So the Pharisees had to know the Bible really well. Pharisees would say this, the law is complete. It contains everything necessary for the living of a good life. Therefore, in the law, there must be a regulation to govern every possible insight in Sorry, incident in every possible moment for every possible individual. So in other words, when they saw the law and they were looking at it, they were like, okay, there's got to be some regulation on this. And we have to work through this. And, and th- we need to have laws on the law so that they actually listen to the law. Have you ever thought about that? Where it's like, th- this, this should be in our culture, by the way. Like, okay, if I'm dating, I shouldn't be having sex before marriage. So... In my mind, it's like, okay, that's like, that's like a rule. That's a space that I want to make sure I occupy. So what like rule or law or boundary do I have to create so that doesn't happen? That's sort of what the Pharisees would do, but they would make it extreme. The name Pharisee means the separated one. Did you know that? The separated one. And the Pharisees were those who had separated themselves from all ordinary life in order to keep every detail of the law and of the scribes. The third would be that Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. This is to say that he was a member of the Sanhedrin. So if we could put it in our our, our modern day as like in church and in ministry, he went to Bible school and he he, he, uh, graduated top of his class. And then he went on to be a youth pastor and he crushed it as a youth pastor. And he grew the youth ministry, and, and the men saw, and the women saw, and they're like, you got something over your life, man. We got to keep raising you up. And then he, like, kept graduating, and then he went to seminary, and then he crushed it in seminary, and he got his master's of divinity, and then he got his Ph.D., and at some point, they said, we need to raise you up. Now, we want you to be just a few voices of the council of the Sanhedrin. There were only a handful that would speak into the law. The Sanhedrin were the one, by the way, that had Jesus crucified because it, was, it would be outrageous for someone to claim that they were the Messiah. They were in charge of making sure if it was not accurate, they, they would know. The Sanhedrin was a court of 70 members and was the supreme court of the Jews. We have a supreme court here in America, don't we? Nicodemus was on that supreme court. Of course, under the Romans, its power were more limited than once, they, than once it had been, but they were still extensive. In particular, the Sanhedrin had religious jurisdiction over every Jew in the world, and one of its duties was to examine and deal with anyone suspected of being a false prophet. 
Again, it is amazing that Nicodemus should even come to Jesus at all. So I want you to, to notice that it says that Nicodemus, so do you guys get, have that understanding, the teaching of Nicodemus? Really, really important to know when we're reading this why Jesus gets so upset with him. So he goes to Jesus at night. There are two reasons theologians would argue why he would go at night. The first is that it may be a sign of caution. Nicodemus, quite frankly, may not have wished to commit himself by coming to Jesus by day. Have you heard that, uh, that song, Freaks Come Out at Night? <laughs> I mean, it's like nothing good happens at night, if I'm being honest, right? And for some of us, maybe, maybe in your, like, B.C. days before Christ days, you would go party it up, and it was nighttime, you know, and, the, like, the party really started at, like, 11 p.m. or 12. It's like nothing good can really come from that, really. So the freaks come out at night. The craziness comes out at night. But Nicodemus knew as all of that was going on, people weren't paying attention to him as a Pharisee, as an elite man, that men and women would come to him for advice about the law. Do you understand? Do you get the picture? So he, he's sort of like, okay, I'm going to go to Jesus at night as a caution that no one could suspect that it's me. But there was something about Jesus that drew Nicodemus to him. The second would be, Another reason, the rabbis declared that the best time to study the law was at night, when it could be done undisturbed. Throughout the day, Jesus was surrounded by crowds of people all the time. He was a busy man. It may well be that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night because he wanted an absolutely private and completely undisturbed time with Jesus. Nicodemus was a puzzled man, a man with many honors, and yet something lacking in his life. Nicodemus then goes to him somehow in the darkness of the, the night to find light. So, here is what uh, Jesus, it says, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God. No one could perform the miracles that you're performing unless basically God was with them. Jesus' answer was that it was not the sign. This is so important, guys. It wasn't the signs. It wasn't the healings. It wasn't the casting out of the demons, although many were so enamored by that. The important thing was such a person's inner life that it could only be changed and rebirthed by Jesus. So Jesus is saying, unless you are born again, if you want the kingdom of heaven, you want, you want to know how to get into the kingdom of heaven that, by the way, seems invisible. It's like a wind. You can't really see it, but you know it's power. Jesus says, if you, Nicodemus, you, you, you scribal man, you man of elite stature and posture, you seem to know it all. If you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you must be reborn. And you know what's interesting is we look at this and think, Nicodemus' response makes it seem like he doesn't know what, he, he's, like, what Jesus is talking about. In fact, he knew exactly what he was talking about. We read this, and it's like, come on, Nicodemus. Like, what's going on, man? Like, how do you not? No, no, he knew. He, he knew exactly because he knew the Old Testament, friend. 
He knew the story of Ezekiel when he says dry bones live. He knew of the rebirth necessary of the transformation and the prophets that would speak to the people that were dead and broken and in shackles and slavery. And the prophet would say, arise, be born again. Arise, take on the spirit of God within you. Step up, know that there is transformation in the spirit of God. It was written all over the Old Testament. So he knew very well when Jesus said, you must be reborn, man. Nicodemus must have misunderstood him, right? And the misunderstanding came from the fact that the word which the Revised Standard Version translates in the Greek, three different meanings. This is so important. Are you guys good? You guys good? Can I just, this is so crucial. So lean in. I'm going to preach this, but lean in, okay? First, there's three meanings to rebirth or being born again. The first, it's like when, um, when, when I tell Kelly, I love you, Kelly. I love you. And then I go and get like a breakfast burrito from Super Chili Burgers. I'm like, oh, I love this breakfast burrito. It's like, which, which love are you talking about here, right? So in, in the Greek, there, there are different definitions of love. Well, in the Greek, there's different definitions of being born again. Here are the three. It can mean from the beginning completely and radically the second it could mean again in the sense it's for the second time or it can mean from above and therefore from God you see the three I'll say it again from the beginning completely radically or again in the sense for the second time or it can mean from above coming from God this rebirth it is not possible for us to get all these meanings into one English word We could say transformation. What does that really mean? We could say be born again. And yeah, you might think like, what do you mean born again? But again, friend, Nicodemus knew exactly what Jesus was saying. To be born anew is to undergo such a radical change that it is like a birth, a new birth. It has something, there's something that happens to the soul which can only be described as being born again all over again. And the whole process is not a human achievement because it comes from the grace and the power of God himself. Just a side note, have you ever ever experienced that? Being born again by the Spirit? Having a rebirth, a transformation of heart. I can tell you story after story after story of the miraculous of God where a man who was drunk or was addicted in a moment could turn from all of that and be healed. I love those stories, but that doesn't always happen that way. Did you know that? But I'm going to have faith to believe God can do it again. If he doesn't, then there's transformation that must be taken, right? There is a growing, there is a working, there is a longing for more. There is in your spirit a transformation of rebirth, but in your flesh... There is a battle. There is a fight. When we read the story, it looks at first sight as if Nicodemus took the word anew in only the second sense. And with a crude literalism, how can anyone, he said, enter again in his mother's womb and be born a second time? But there is more to Nicodemus' answer than that. In his heart, there was a great unsatisfied longing. Do you have a longing for something more? Did you feel as if, like... Like, everything seems good, but it's really not. Like, why is it that I feel off? Why is it that something is just not clicking right? 
even if you claim Christ-likeness. Something, and, and I would say, you, you got to enter the kingdom of God. Well, how do I do that, Pastor? Well, we got to go on a journey. But I can't do it for you. This, this, I would argue, is the problem of modern-day Americanized Christianity. That somehow, we think, myself included at times, that another person can help me get there. Now, I'm not against mentorship and pastoring and soul care and coaching and walking with me when I fall and get up. I love all that. We need it. The Bible says there's, there's wisdom and counsel. However, the moment you think that it's in another person, ah, oh, we've messed up, man. It's not in anyone other than God. So if my rebirth is in another person, they will let me down. Can I say it this way? If your rebirth is in your wife or is in your husband, they will let you down. Where is your source? Where do you tap in? Where do you lean in and know this can only come from God, from his throne? This can only come from the kingdom of heaven. I don't need it from a man. I don't need it from another pastor. I have access to the, the heavenlies, to the throne room of God. And he can transform me from the inside out. I don't care what anyone says. It is only God that can do that, friend. And you have to, with fear and trembling, get on your knees before God and know it's not a man, it's not a woman, it's not this person or that person. I have access to the king. I do. You do. That is what the kingdom of heaven is. And how do you enter into the kingdom of heaven? You want to know? Oh, it's hard, man. It's so hard. <laughs> Give up your flesh. Give it up, man. Every part of it. Every ounce. Whatever you think you want, give it up. That's not for you then. Whatever you think is yours, it's not yours. It's his. So the moment that you enter into the kingdom of heaven, watch this with meekness. Blessed are the meek. The moment you enter into the kingdom as a poor in spirit man, blessed are the poor. Jesus rewrites the script and he changes it and he flips it upside down and he says, you want to enter in the kingdom of heaven? Seek righteousness. You want to enter the kingdom of heaven? Give everything you have and come follow me. You want to enter into the heaven? Get rid of your flesh. It's getting in the way. And instead, ah, Focus on the Spirit. Let the Spirit drive you. Let the Spirit move in you. And But man, Sam, Pastor, uh, like where is the Spirit? <laughs> I love how Jesus says in the Scripture, let me read it to you because it's, he's so good at his words. He says this, I tell you in the kingdom of God, unless they're born again, by water in the spirit, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit to spirit gives birth to spirit. So he's using that word spirit, and the translation is wind. That was the Old Testament. That's how they understood the, the, the spirit was moving. They could feel the wind. So they were like, they were mystic. They were like, oh, it's the wind. It's, it's the spirit of God. We got to follow God in a pillar of smoke. He's out there somewhere, somehow, but I can't see him. Why can't I see him? Well, he's a mystery. Stop trying to figure it out. Stop trying to have all the answers. Do you believe in God? 
then give life to the spirit, not to the flesh. So it's like, it's like the wind. You can't see it, man, but you know it's there. So Jesus gives this analogy to a man who should understand this, but he's so concerned with his flesh. He's so concerned with the rule, with the regulation, with all of the laws, and then a bunch more on top of that law that he missed everything that the kingdom of God had to offer him. And then it says, here it is, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You know what he's saying? The spirit of God does whatever he wants to do. You hear it sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone, here it is, born of the spirit. Born of the spirit. What does that mean to you? In your walk with Jesus, and your rebirth. The phrase born anew, this idea of rebirth runs all throughout the New Testament. Peter speaks of being born anew by God's great mercy in 1 Peter. He talks about being born anew, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. James speaks of God giving us birth by the word of truth. The letter to Titus speaks of the water of rebirth. Sometimes the same idea is spoken of as a death followed by a resurrection or a recreation. Paul speaks of the Christian as dying with Christ and them raising to life again in Romans. He speaks of those who come late into the Christian faith, but they come as an infant. They come as a little baby. And what do little babies do? The symbolic nature of that, they don't know. They're dependent on who? Their mom. Are you dependent on God that way? Or has your dependency been fixated on something of the flesh? Beware, friend, if that is the case in your soul, you will miss the wind. Because you're so focused on what's right in front of you. When Kelly and I planted this church, it was, it was only the wind that could do it. <laughs> I had a, a friend um, who actually was a part when, when I was 18, 19 years old. I just wanted to start Bible studies. We started doing it at my mom's house, and we were connected with, with the, the Christian club presidents. And one of the, the gentlemen from years, probably about 10 years later, he called me the other day. And he's like, hey, man, I feel called to plant a church. How do I do it? And here was the question he said, how do I know? Like, is it is okay? Is it not? What, what, what do I do then? How did you know, man? He asked me this. And I had to to think about it for a second. And I said, when you know, you can't sleep at night, man. You You can't think properly. But when you start thinking of yourself doing it, there will be so many obstacles in the way. The money. You know what people told us? You have to have 50,000 to plant a church. We had like 500 bucks. I said, God will do it. You know what other people told us? We tried to plant during an organization. They said, hey, uh, Sam and Kelly, we sent a little video. I was all excited in Chino Hills. I'm like, hey, guys. I won't say the organization. Hey, guys, we're so excited. We want to plant this church. God's put it on our heart. I've been a youth pastor. I have my undergrad in theology. I'm going to start my master's degree. We just fell on fire for God. And they said, well, we talked it over, and we think you need to get under some leadership just to kind of work throughout your your theology for a bit or something like that. And I looked to Kelly, and I said, no, we're going to do it. I don't care what man says. 
I don't care what man says. I don't look at man. I look at God. I can't see him. Where's he at? Where's he at? He's inside of me. He's speaking to me. He's saying, go. He's saying, go until you get a no. Have you heard that one? Go until you get a no. Go until you get a no. Don't let man stop you. Don't let the devil put his, his foot on your neck. Reverse it and say, I have the, the, the spirit of God within me. Don't cower down to man or to an image or to what's right in front of you. Say, the spirit of God has called me. I will go. I will go. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense, though, Kel. Like, you know, I'm, I'm young. I'm young, Kel. And I was young, I'm still young, right, Kel? <laughs> but I don't care. Call me young, man. I don't care. What, what do people say about you? You know what my, my doctor, doctor taught me? He said, when anyone has something to say about you, all you do is you go to the Father. You say, Father, um, this is what this individual or this organization or this space told me. Like, what do you say, God? What do you say? God, no, God, seriously, like, what do you say? I don't care what they, what do you say about me, Father? And I've learned that he's so much more concerned about what is here than what is here. So much more, man. Why, why, why? He doesn't care about the flesh. He doesn't care about the accolade. He doesn't care about what we can do. He cares about what he's doing inside of you because he knows, because he created you, by the way, if he can get a part of your heart, if he can get into your spirit, and his spirit empowers your spirit, it's game over because you don't look like man looks. You look like God called you. God has appointed you. And as I was reading in my own studies really late at night and I was tossing and turning, I picked up, I felt like God said, look at the story of David again. Look at the story of David. And I picked it up, and I'm reading in 1 Samuel, and David was a shepherd boy. David didn't have anything. David was forgotten. David was rejected. And still, the man of God said, there's got to be someone else. And Jesse's like, yeah, my son. He's out like with the sheep. Call him. We won't eat until he's here. Call him. Samuel anoints David. And then the anointing of God over David it fills him up. And the Bible says the anointing of God left Saul. Left Saul. It was gone. And he was terrorized by an evil spirit, by God. You read it. That's between you and God on, on working that out. This, God allowed an evil spirit to inflict Saul. And then watch what happens. Saul was so focused on the flesh Please, please circle it. John 3, I believe it's, it's verse 9. Where is it? No, 6. John 3, 6. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit... I was considering just doing a sermon just on that verse. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. So what David did as he was going on this journey, what Saul did, Saul was focused on the flesh. David was focused on the spirit. And this man was so focused on not the wind and not the spirit and not the assignment that God placed on Saul. He was focused about the assignment that God placed on David. Well, David, well, Saul slays thousands, but David, he slays tens of thousands. And Saul couldn't stand it. His flesh, he fed he fed the flesh, and he was so fixated on this man named David, yet he was king. Friend, he was king of Israel, 
anointed by Samuel. And there was a moment, and this is where it popped out on me. He's in the cave. He he literally goes and kills a bunch of prophets because he finds out that David was running from him. And he's like, I want this man dead. I'm done with David. He's dead. So let's kill him. And David is is in the the caves. And I went to Israel, so I know exactly. There's like trees, and he was in the forest, and he was hiding in caves. And he had like, like a couple, like not a lot of men with him, but he had men with him. And there was a moment that he was in the cave and he knew that Saul was close. So they all hide into a cave. And watch this. The the king, Saul, goes to, quote, relieve himself, whatever that means. He goes, number two, maybe? (laughs) I mean, that's, that's the translation, honestly. So he has to squat down to do that, right, in the cave. And, And David and his men are in the cave. And this is where... It popped out to me. I said, wow, God, thank you for that. It says, the men were saying, David, we got him. God has given us Saul. Let's kill him. We're done. We don't have to run anymore, David. Let's, let's finish this guy. It'll be quick. And David says, no, 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 no. And he crouches up to Saul, and he cuts off a piece of his coat, and he pulls it back. And then the Bible says the spirit of God, he was convicted by God because he touched the anointed one. David touched the anointed one. In his eyes, Saul was king. There was honor there. You see the honor? He honored the king. Even though the king wanted him dead, he honored him. So he, ta- he took the little piece of cloth and he was so convicted that he walks out of the cave, not even knowing that, that Saul in that moment could have him killed. And he says, Saul, I've come against the anointed one. I could have killed you, but I didn't. Please forgive me. Because the Bible says that that David was so convicted that he touched the anointed one. And that, I was thinking, man, that's what it means to give life to the Spirit. To be convicted, to have character. When no one else is looking and you're in your cave and you can kill the enemy right then and there, God says, no, I will do it. You don't do it. How dare you get in the way of me? Let me fight your battles. Let me defend you. And I'm like, oh, God, the wind. I see it. It's, I'm, I'm looking in the flesh. But you're reminding me of the spirit. So for you, where are you with the flesh and with the spirit? Are you feeding the spirit? I know we got, Maddie's pregnant right now, so I'm going to pick on Maddie for a moment. She is pregnant with a baby. Baby, right? And it's flesh. Flesh of my flesh is inside of, of, of her womb right now, and it's a beautiful thing. And, I mean, when she gives birth, it's, it's going to be a, a baby, a fleshly baby, right? <laughs> you get it? Now, I don't know what it's like to, to be pregnant with a baby, but I know what it's like to be pregnant with a dream. I know exactly what it's like to be pregnant with the call of God over my life, where I toss and turn, and I look to God, and I go back to his word, and I remind myself who I am. Have you ever been pregnant with a dream? Have you been pregnant with the call of God over your life? Be careful not to let fleshly things get in the way. Let the spirit rule it. Let the spirit lead it. Let the spirit guide you. Let the spirit empower you. When you feed the flesh, 
you'll get the flesh, man. When you feed the spirit, you'll get the spirit. Does that make sense? I hope that encourages you because the word of God surely encourages me in this. And then here's the last part. It says this. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up. That everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. John took that story and used it as a kind of a parable of Jesus. There is a story in the Old Testament. Sometimes I feel like we need, you need to go back and read the Old Testament. Because if you don't understand the Old Testament, my friend, you're surely not going to understand the wonder of the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the people were murmuring, and they were upset, and they were bothered. And Moses is like, I don't know what to do with these people, God. Like, what do I do? And Moses is instructed by God to get a snake, to put it on a stick, and the people will look at the snake, and when they look at the snake, they'll be healed because they keep getting bit, Right? So they look at the snake, and the snake heals them. Very interesting story, right? It's like, what in the world is going on here? Until you know the full story. Do you know that we serve a God who took the place of you and I, and he got up on a stick, a cross, and the whole world looked and were healed. The whole world. Moses lifts up a stick with the snake on it, and the people of God, when they looked at the snake, were healed. And so in the New Testament, I serve a God that says, I will be lifted up. And the entire world has to see. They can look away. They can choose not to believe it. They can be focused on the flesh. But if you look long enough at the crucified Messiah, if you look long enough, you'll know that he was resurrected on the third day. If you look long enough, you will be healed by all your transgressions and all of your iniquities and all of the things that your soul is longing for. If you would just look up at God, if you would just look up at the spirit of heaven, of the holy power that we have, if you would just fixate your eyes on Jesus, my Bible says you will be healed. And the question is, do you believe it? Do you believe that? Man, I wish I could just like pull you aside and have like a one-on-one session with you and shake you up a little bit and be like, my friend, if you don't get this part right, you're going to miss the whole story. It cannot be done by the flesh. It has to be done by the spirit. Do you want the kingdom of heaven, church? I know I do. And I know that the Father, my God, your God, he wants me to become a spiritual father. And I got a lot of work to do. Did you know that? Do you know that he wants you to become spiritual mothers and fathers? You won't be able to get there unless you get hurt. You won't be able to get there unless you're in the cave and you have to make a decision. Do I? Do I? Move the hand of God and act, or do I wait for God to do what he wants to do? Do I fixate my eyes on the things of this earth, or do I fixate my eyes on the kingdom of heaven? That is up to you. I can't do it. The elders can't do it. My mom can't do it for you. Your mama can't do it for you. Your daddy can't do it for you. No one on this planet can do what only the spirit of God can do. Like, like, no, like, I just said it, but I, I really, like, do you, do you get that? Do you honestly get it? No one 
No one can do what the Spirit of God can do for you. Nobody. So that changes it for me. Oh, it changes a lot. When we fast, 21 days of prayer and fast, I'm going to fast hard. I'm going to go to the Spirit of God first. When hell breaks over your life, I'm going to go to the Spirit of God first. I'm going to get on my knees first. I'm going to listen to what God says more than what man says. Are you at that place in your, in your marriage? Are you at that place in your singleness? Are you at that place in your discipleship to Jesus? Have you given everything to the king? I had a friend tell me this this week. I was on a call with them, and he said, man, you talk a lot about the kingdom of heaven and about, like, Jesus being Lord. I don't know if I'm there yet. And I'm like, ah, oh, I'm just so grateful you, you at least are thinking about it. Think about it. Ponder it. Jesus said, sit down and think hard if you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And if you want to do that, then, then pick your cross up. Pick it up, man. So watch how the story changes. Watch how the narrative changes. Are you guys good? Are we good, Gato? Okay. Watch how the narrative changes. This is American Christianity. I got, Pastor said, I got the spirit of God. I got the authority of, of, of heaven. Yes. But, but I got fired. But I, I didn't get into to nursing school. But I didn't, I didn't get into that. Pro, but, I, but why did this happen? Why did... My family member have to, I was praying and then my family, where is God in this? You've missed the narrative. Jesus came as a human to teach us how to be human. Do you know that? He didn't teach us how to like dance and butterflies and rainbows and nothing ever is going to happen to us. How would you grow? How would you mature? How would you become refined? How would you be like, as corny as it sounds, a butterfly that is a caterpillar that turns into a butterfly. How would you be transformed? How would you move and breathe and have the sustainability and the resilient nature to walk into the things that God has prepared for you? Because last time I checked, when Joshua crossed over the Jordan River, he thought he was in the land of milk and honey. It was the promise. But the first thing he had to do was fight. His dream, their dream was right in front of them. They were actually standing in it. Why do I have to fight? Because you need to grow. You need to be dependent on God. The moment it's you, Joshua, give up your leadership, man. Give me your sword. You're not fit for this. It's all about you, Joshua. No. Okay. So Jericho's there, and we're in the land of milk and honey. What do we do, God? And the Spirit gives an assignment that the flesh would make no sense of. You want me to march around the building and shout and play songs and sing worship? You are crazy. I'll listen. Because I don't look at the flesh. I look at the Spirit. So my friend, if you desire, you want to, so this is the shift of the narrative. I'm going to have hard days. I'm going to have really low moments. 
there will be times where, for some of you, your marriages fall apart. There will be moments where, like for Kelly and I, you will have a miscarriage. There will be broken times. It's like painful suffering. And know when that happens, you're in the company of a suffering Christ who showed us how to suffer. I just want to know how to suffer. I just want to know I'm not giving up. I just need to remind myself that no matter what I do and what I say in my fathering and my parenting with Lenya and with Zoe and with my bride, Kelly, and with this community, no matter what happens, I'm not giving up because I serve a suffering Messiah that showed me how to stand and breathe and live because spirit gives life to spirit. Give life to the flesh and you'll be disappointed, man. Where are you on this journey? Even as I speak, what is the Spirit of God speaking to you about your flesh? He's got much to say about mine. That's between me and God. What does he say about yours? Where are you in this? Do you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven? Do you want to become like a child again? Do you want to imagine and become the hero God has called you to be? Do you want to partner and participate with the Missio Dei, with the mission of God? Die. That's the invitation. Die. No more flesh, man. No more about you. It's about him. Will you close your eyes with me? we lower the lights